again. Today we are starting a new series on culture. You may have seen that via social media and such, or may have heard about it from us as well. And we want to give you this little video opener. Okay, are you ready? Give me a thumbs up. This means you're ready. And go. What if today was the last day that you walked this earth? What if today was the last day that you breathed your last breath? What if tomorrow would be the day that your body was committed to the dirt that it came from? What did you do with your dash? What impact did you have with your life? What did your life mean? What value did you bring to the world you lived in? What was your relationship with Jesus like when you lived on this earth? Did you love him? Did you like him? Did you talk about him? Did others know you had a relationship with him? Did that relationship make you a better person to be around? Did people care to know him because of you? Did you love God and did you love his people? Psalm 90 verses 12 and 17 from Moses, teach us to number our days and establish the work of our hands. Give him some love. First time ever and just knocked it out of the park. What? Pro status. We are so excited for this series, though, because um, as the church, we, we find ourselves in, in a cultural conundrum, if you will. You know, we come together on Sundays. We, we fill up buildings in all kinds of places. We sit in seats, pews, whatever. And, and we, we have this conundrum within our lives with the thought process, what are we doing beyond here? And as a church, we, we don't want to arrive at the end of this life and have blood on our hands because we didn't do the right thing while we were here. We're here to make sure that we are helping people understand that we are here to make a difference within the culture. We're here to make a difference in people's lives because culture is a subset of people. You know what I'm saying by this? It's, it's a way things are within people groups. So we think about what can we do to make a difference? See, I believe, and it's, it's one of these, these poems that Brandon may know this well, that people read at funerals about the dash. Okay, and I remember when my grandfather passed away, it was the first time I heard about this little poem, and it stuck with me. This was back in 2003. It stuck with me because it challenged me, what will I do with my life? So you know on the, the tombstone, there's a beginning date and what? An end date. But everything in between is what makes the difference. It's how we live. It's what we do. It's how we affect those around us. So the question is, how will we live in this culture? How will we live with the lives of others and make a difference? Will we keep Jesus inside the four walls or will we take him out to the streets? Will we take him out to our jobs? Will we take him out to our, our other workplaces? Will we take him out to our universities? Will we take him out to the grocery store? Will we take him everywhere? Will we utilize this dash that we have, this opportunity to make a difference in this world? I don't know about you, but I'm challenged. And here's the thing about people. You guys know this. People necessarily don't, don't change. If you notice, like history repeats itself, the same kind of things happen within people year after year, generation after generation, right? Hundreds of years after hundreds of years because people basically stay the same. See, when we think about this, we think about it from the word and someone like Moses. Moses is one of these guys, one of the old guys, right? That's Charlton Heston. Anybody, you know what I'm saying about that? He went up on the mountain, you know, and he got some stones and it was legit. You know, Jesus, God, everybody showed up there kind of, okay? But no, we think about Moses and somebody that would understand this kind of thing. And he, and he, he wrote down a prayer in Psalm 90 that we're going to talk about today. And, and we're going we're gonna to develop it a little bit more as we go along. But Moses is someone that understood 
good life. Let me, give, let me tell you some things about Moses that's important so you kind of get a background. I love to make sure you know who somebody is that we're talking about in Scripture. See, Moses was the first abandoned child mentioned in the Bible, right? His name uh, means someone who is a deliverer. His uh, Pharaoh's daughter paid Moses' mother to nurse him after she rescued him from the Nile River. Okay, he was the baby of the family. Where's the babies of the family? That's me. We're the youngest, aren't we? Isn't that fun? They hate us. <laughs> Moses was a murderer. Put that on the list. Man, what a guy. What a guy. What a guy. Moses worked as a shepherd, okay? Uh, during the burning bush episode, Moses gave uh, God five lame excuses for why he couldn't be Israel's deliverer. He probably was someone who stuttered. Remember, he said this, Oh, Lord, I am not very good with words. I have never have been and not now, even though you have spoken to me. I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. So instead, his brother became a spokesperson for Israel, Aaron. He was not your typical 80-year-old guy, right? So he, he, he moves into his 80s and he tries to move millions of people, all right? This is what he did. What are you going to do in your 80s? So just, okay. All right, this is Moses, okay? Churches down, led the people out of Egypt, out of that bondage. He was an original snake handler. You're like, oh, Pentecostal churches down in southern West Virginia. You might still find that these days, okay? <laughs> Not here. He was the original snake handler, right? Three times during his tenure as leader, uh, God used snakes to demonstrate his power, right? Within Moses' life, that staff turned into a snake. Can you imagine seeing that stuff, I'd be like, this is crazy. I'm not following this guy, okay? I, I would have probably freaked out a little bit. He had leprosy, right? He was a songwriter. You're like, Can you imagine him now? Ring, ring. I, when I read the word, I see things like this, okay? Um, he didn't write the Ten Commandments, by the way. God did, okay? He just brought them down. He saw God and lived to talk about it. That's a big deal, okay? Uh, he lived 120 years. That's legit, right? When you think about it, uh, and it was into three parts. Remember, the son of an Egyptian pharaoh. The second was a shepherd. And the third was an esteemed leader of Israel. So that, that's some big stuff. Three 40-year increments, okay? I'm only, I'm only into my first 40-year, okay? I'm not there yet. Um, he knew in advance the day of his death. That's pretty crazy. Wouldn't you like to know that? I would, okay? And God buried him on uh, the mountain, and his grave was never found. I think that's important to know about Moses. Some of those things you probably heard about growing up. You read the stories in, in, in school, but, or, or in, in, uh, in Sunday school or something like that, or heard the stories or saw them on a flannel board. Anybody know what a flannel board is? You were there. You were there. Remember that? It was just like, look, and then here, you know, that was fun. But for some of us, we're learning this for the very first time, which I think is great. Because Moses' life can speak to you in ways that none other can. Because this was a guy that, that knew real life. When I look at someone like Moses in scripture, I can say, man, I can identify with that guy. Not the murder part, you know, <laughs> didn't really venture there. But, you know, I can understand some of these things make sense to me because, you know, he struggled with, he, he walked with God and he, he did life with God. And out of that came some beautiful things. And what he did in the later part of his life, he, he, he wrote down a prayer. He wrote down a prayer that we call Psalm 90. That's good. That means the church is growing. Don't worry about it, okay? <laughs> We're making space for them babies. Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. 
What you're going to notice soon is uh, these, these scriptures are broken into little segments that you can summarize that, that were a part of Moses' prayer to the Lord. And this prayer, this came out of the depths of his heart near the end of his life, having had seen so many things. Are you with me on this? With such a maturity with the Lord and the things of God that only Moses could speak from. All right, so I'm going to read this to you and you can see it on your screen. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or uh, uh, you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. Can you read that with me? Wouldn't that be fun? You know, a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by the evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger. You're like, what? hold on. How is this going to make sense? It will in just a moment. And terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All of our days pass under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of of our hands. Did this prayer go in so many places you never expected? I mean, Moses was all over the board here. Are your prayers ever like that? God, can you help me with this test? Lord, I am so dang hungry. You know, it's just like, are you with me? See, Moses was coming from real life and he was coming from cultural observations that he had seen about the people thing for many, many, many years. The first 40 alone, imagine that living under a pharaoh and living in this palace. Can you imagine how cool that would be? Be like, I want some grapes. And they come over, boop, 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 boop. You know what I mean? I can't imagine. But then those 40 years out in the desert with sheep, being a shepherd with his staff. You see what I'm saying by this? Can you imagine what he felt? And then those, those years leading the people of Israel, shepherding those people, he was writing with insight that we will never understand, but we're going to try and glean from it. We're going to try and learn from this, this psalm because it was a prayer that he had before the Lord and it was significant in his life and it'll be in yours as well today. So what I did was I broke it up into these sections and you may see it within your Bible that way. Verses one and two were one of those sections. These are the observations that he had. God has always been the same for all generations. God doesn't change. He does not change. He has remained the same. The moving target is us. Are you with me on that? And he has been our refuge, right? Our dwelling place 
from this world since the beginning. Nothing like getting away and going somewhere, right? A nice quiet place, you know, in life, maybe like go camping or something like that, whatever you enjoy, a hike or whatever. This is him, our dwelling place, our place away from all the calamity of life. And he's always been that person. Before the landscape of this world, before any of the architecture that you see outside that we call mountains and valleys and everything in between, it was him. It was him. He was there and he's been there since before and he'll be there afterward. See, this is expressing God's majesty and sovereignty. Think about that. Majesty and sovereignty. So there's a break and a change in the prayer. Verses three through six, we'll see this. God has always been the holder of life and life beyond this earth. Verse three, we go to verse four. God exists outside of time completely. Do you ever ask God in your prayers, how long, God? How long this? How long that? God, do you see what's going on? It's been days. God's like, no, actually I don't. I exist outside of time. See, it's so hard for us to think that way, isn't it? God, I have been waiting for the perfect mate for three months. <laughs> you, you know what I mean by this? God, I went, I went to Chi Alpha. I went to Chi Alpha. I went for our woo folks. I went to Upper Room because I knew I would find the one there. I'm halfway through the semester, God. Semester, time. And he's like, I got nothing. Because I exist outside of all of that. I'm sovereign. I'm God. Okay? And this will make sense as we continue on. God has the ultimate choice of the beginning and the end of man's life. Even that, which is so hard to grapple with in our minds, that it's God's choice of when it is to begin and end. This is expressing God's ability, his abilities, and the concept of time pertaining to him. And then we get into verse seven. And this is something that's hard for us to understand, right? Because you're like, anger? What do, you, what do you mean? We are consumed by your anger. You see that? And terrified by your indignation. What? What does it mean for God to be angry at me? Why, did anybody, is this a cultural question that you would have? Why is God mad at me when things, you see what I mean by this? It's gonna make sense in just a moment. When we, when we think about this, this anger perspective pertaining to the character of God, we think about being face to face with him. When you look at this word anger, it's when you, you have come into his presence and you see the look upon his face that he has toward you. You know what I mean by this? So this will help it make sense, okay? Um, how many of you guys are parents here? Parents, I see those hands. God bless you. My prayer life has increased for you tremendously. Okay. As parents, what we kind of do is we kind of set up some cultural norms within our home. We set up some expectations within our home, don't we? Uh, certain things like don't hit your sister. Don't hit your brother. Don't talk back to your mom. Don't talk at all right now. You know what I mean by this? <laughs> Sometimes it's like when mom says silence, it means silence. <laughs> just listen. It makes things easier, okay? You don't have to have the right hand of fellowship then. I'm just kidding. But you think about... Did you like that? I'm kidding. Agreed upon as... When they go outside of our cultural norms and the things that we've created and agreed upon as a family, I get a little angry. Because I say, 
you're making this about you versus us. This ain't about you. And just put in a name. I got three of them. It don't matter. It changes daily. <laughs> it ain't about you. It's about us. And what you've done is you've violated our cultural understanding of our home because culture's in everything. It's a byproduct of people stuff. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? You have violated this. And you know what? I'm angry because you shouldn't have done that. Now, sometimes, you know, I like things to be in places like organized and clean at home. So you don't, I don't know, trip over it nonstop. You know, that's me. I'm the trip guy. Literally, if it's on the floor, I will find it with my big feet <laughs> and daddy going down. Okay. And it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch. Everybody laughs and not just more angry, but no, as long as you don't sin in your anger, but we understand this. That, that God is in such a place with us. Why would he have this anger toward us? This consumed, this I'm done with, it's finished kind of anger. And why would we feel terrified, which is dismayed, right? Dismayed or disturbed by it, by his wrath, this burning fire that's coming toward us. Why would this be something that we have to deal with? Because there's something called sin and we'll get to that in just a moment to explain it more. It's not that he is a God that is angry with you and hates you. And wants these things to happen in your life, he's angry at what's within you. You see what I'm saying? It'll make sense. Verse 8, we see that you have put the guilt of our sins before us. You've laid it all on the table. Everything has been exposed to the light of you. Just putting it all on the table. Secret sin, known sin, everything, God, it's all on the table before you. Moses is speaking from life here. All of our lives flow out to overflowing and we just get to the end and let out a big sigh. <sighs> Time runs so fast, doesn't it? You've now numbered our days, 70 at best, 80, right? If we we're so blessed to receive that many. However, our days are not compared to a timeless God that exists outside of that. Before we know it, we'll be at the end of it with the Lord in heaven. See, he's trying to express and help us understand, uh, number one, that he doesn't like sin in our lives, but also, number two, that your life is brief. Your dash is not as long as you think it is. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? It's important for us to understand this. Verse 11, after this other little break in scripture, we go to 11 to 12. We see that um, who has chosen, he has chosen to understand. Who, but who has chosen to understand his anger? Who, is under, who has chosen to understand this anger that he has? Are you familiar with it? See, are you in the room with it? And because and, when you get in the room with it, you understand why he's thinking this way. Do you comprehend it? Do you perceive it deeply? Does it, does it bring change into your life? Who has allowed themselves to experience it? I think about it sometimes when we're in the room and, and I'm with my kiddos and I'm like, why did you do that? I'm not yelling at them. I don't have to yell at them. But why did you do that? that? That angers me. That upsets me. That frustrates me. And I have to ask him, do you understand what I'm saying? Are you receiving my anger? Is this making sense? Are you in the room with me on this issue? Do you know what I'm talking about here? All right. Verse 12, help us to understand how short this life is and what we have to do with it, what we have left. Again, this emphasis of this hatred towards sin, but also our ability with this dash we have. So then we see a next break between 13 and 16, and there's a change in the tone of his prayer. There's a change in the tone, and you can see that as he says, relent, Lord. Turn around. 
turn around. Look, I, I see, I see that you're, I get it. I'm in the room with this. I'm here with you. I see your face. I know why you're angry because the sin that's within me, which is human nature. I see that you can't dwell with sin. Light and dark can't be in the same place. I get it, but turn around. God, turn around and look at me. He was saying repent, which is to mean to turn around. God, turn around and look at me. Have compassion on me once again. Have compassion on this culture. See, Moses is crying out, Lord, one more time for these people. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? He's asking, will you have compassion just one more day, one more time so that we can have your joy, that we can have your joy in exchange for our depression, in exchange for our frustration, in exchange for our broken hopes, our downcast lives. Help us to see your work in us, and in the generations to come. Help us to see your redemptive work, this turning back. And then we see verse 17 that ends this. Let your beauty and favor rest upon us. Let your beauty and your favor rest upon us. Help us to look like you and not the sinful nature we knew so well before you. Change us to be like you, right? Are you with me? Make us ready to be with you in this culture. So there's a few things that I want us to glean from this. Because again, we were focusing on Psalm 90, 12, all right? You saw that in Psalm 90, 17. But there's, there's, there's a package deal on these things. You can't just take 12 without 11. Whenever you read scripture, read around scripture. It's about context. And it's so important we see this when you read these again. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is, that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The first thing we need to talk about is when you know the power of God's anger, we understand the depth of his love for us. He hates sin. Why do you think God hates sin? He hates sin because of what it does to his kids, right? Some of those cultural rules we have within the house, wear your helmet when you ride a bike. Slow down when you're going around certain things, certain, you know what I mean? Don't jump that. And I'm not like a hovering parent, like, don't have fun. <laughs> Did I wear a helmet when I was a kid? No, you're like, that explains a lot, okay? <laughs> but I also didn't bump my head when I was a kid, but later on it worked. We have these things for a reason because if, if these cultural norms, these rules within our family are not there, things will happen. And the thing is, for the wages of sin is what? Death. When we have the, the wrong things in our lives, things die as well. Think about the relationships that you're in. Think about friendships that you've had, jobs that you've had. When sin, when self crept into that situation, when selfishness crept into that situation, how did it change the landscape of that aspect of your life? Probably pretty greatly, right? And we look about this and we see the heart of God in this and that he hates sin because what it does to us, but also to those around us. See, he wants us to impact this culture with good news. But if we can't get past ourselves, we won't be able to do it. Are you with me? And this is why I know it seems like you're like, don't you always do series like this? You always start with us? Absolutely. You're like, I thought so. Because if you can't own this, if I can't own this, we can't give it away. Are you with me? So important. See, God desires to eradicate the heart of sin and selfishness and fill it with righteousness and humility. 
God desires to eradicate the heart of sin and selfishness and fill it with righteousness and humility. He wants to take self out, right? And put himself in. And what does he exhibit? Humility. That is the most humble thing you'll ever see the cross. It was so humiliating to our savior. It represents, what it represents is detestable. The worst Roman punishment ever. Are you with me? It's ugly. It's ugly because what it did, but it's beautiful because what it achieved with Jesus. Are you, are you, are you with me on that? We want to see him in us and we want to, he wants to eradicate that sin within our lives, that selfishness and fill it with himself. The second thing is this. When we learn to number our days, we gain God's heart in the process. When we learn to number our days, then we get his heart. Why is that? Because we understand just how brief life can be, right? You see this. You've probably gone to school with people that have, that have passed prematurely, that it shouldn't have happened. Somebody, you see what I mean by this? We see that, you know, where did time go? Remember, have you ever done that? You just sit around and you're with your friends like, what, was that a whole year? What happened? You know, it was just yesterday. I remember, you know, riding my bike down on my grandfather's farm and jumping stuff and, you know, shooting groundhogs. Yes. Pap, are you with me? Okay. You got to understand if you're farm people. It was just yesterday. What happened? It was so fast. Wants us to get, it was just like it was one, a, a breath and gone. The brevity of life is what God wants us to get. He wants us to have his heart. He wants us to number our days and understand how brief they are. Why? Because he wants his heart in other people. And you are the ones, we are the ones that are supposed to give it to them. Teach us to number our days. Help us to understand that everyone has, been, has, has sinned within their lives and has been pulled apart from him, but we can lead them back to him. Give us wisdom, this understanding that comes by way of God's spirit living in us instead of people's spirit, man's spirit outside of us. Wisdom from the Lord by the leading of his Holy Spirit. Are you with me? I wonder if Moses looked back in his life. I wonder if he looked back at those times as a shepherd of both sheep, okay, but also of people. I wonder if he looked back with regret. I wonder if he looked back and said, I should have never, I should have never murdered that Egyptian. He always knew he was different. He always knew that he was Hebrew. He had to because Hebrews are circumcised early on. So that makes sense. Okay. He always knew he was different, but why, why, why did he look back with regret over these things that I should have, would have, could have 120 years. Can you imagine? Do you look back and think, what should I have done? What kind of heart should I have possessed? You want to possess God's heart in the process. When we do that, when we gain God's heart, we display his beauty in our culture. To people, we display his beauty. Psalm 90, excuse me, Psalm 90, 16 and 17. May your deeds be shown to your servants. Again, you can't take 17 without 16. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord, our God, rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. When you think about this, the deeds, what are his deeds that he wants to be displayed in your life? He wants forgiveness to be displayed in your life. He wants compassion 
to be displayed in your life. He wants righteous anger, if you see what I'm saying here, that you hate the sin and others' lives so that you can help bring them to the place of redemption that's in him. Are you with me? That you can lead them to him. He wants you to possess his heart and also the deeds that he came to do, possess them too so that his possession, his people, those that are still not in the flock can come into pasture. That's why we're here. That's why God places on this earth. And it's only for a short time, and we don't even know how short that can be to make this difference. He wants us to display his beauty. Our worship team is going to come up this morning and want to conclude with this, this thought process. I don't know if anybody is on social media. Probably all of you are, one degree or another. Yes, Lord. Society is crying out. <laughs> Prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way. Listen, you got to have fun in church, man. You got to have fun. Especially when you're talking about anger and God's anger and sin and the things that separate us from him. See, he was talking about this social media stuff, but also just life. A little quote that it felt like God just laid on my heart. We're called to stir the heart of man, not the pot of culture. We're called to stir the heart of man and women, you know what I mean by that, not the pot of culture. It is so easy, isn't it? To get on your network of any kind that you prefer. You know, for me, it's MySpace, but you know, I'm antiquated. It's so easy to get on these platforms and take a moment to say whatever you want about whatever you think, isn't it? It's easy to blast off at your mouth at people and not think about the consequences that your words carry and the weight that they carry. It's easy to do that. Anybody can do that. But you know what's a lot harder? To sit across the table from someone that's different than you. Someone that doesn't believe the same, doesn't look the same, didn't come from the same hometown, didn't same, come from the same race, didn't come from the same belief system. It's harder to do that than it is to just blast off and stir the pot. Anybody can do that. But it takes patience, it takes compassion, right? It takes righteous anger to sit across from somebody and say, you know what? We all have sin in our lives. I know I still do, and I need forgiveness every day, and I want to sit across the table from you. Let's get some coffee. Let's do some life. Let's talk. You will never impact culture or make a difference in people's lives by sitting in the church. I'm not supposed to come to church? No, no, no. Don't forsake the gathering. Come on, somebody. This isn't it. This is the end of the week, remember, for us? This is the celebration of what we did throughout the week. This is how we connected in our small groups. This is how we, we went to Starbucks and sat there longer and availed ourselves and listened to the Holy Spirit to say, who do you want me to speak to today? It's easier to blast and stir the pot than it is to sit across the table from somebody you don't necessarily like. But that's what we're called to do. Christianity is not comfortable it's not sexy. Get over it. You will get persecuted for your beliefs someday, possibly. That's exciting. What if they take away our 501c3 status, Matt? We're still a church. 
What happens if your tithe is not tax deductible anymore? <gasps> well, you still give. Well, I get a regular job. I don't care. People need to know his love. There's so many things in my heart I don't agree with. And I don't see the eye to eye on it all whatsoever. But I know I have been given grace. I have been given compassion. I am an idiot. And he gave it to me. Therefore, I will sit across the table. And you will too. From somebody that you don't like. That may have a burqa on. That may come from a different country. You will love on people. Because that's what the church is supposed to do. And if not, he died on that for nothing. Just take it down, throw it out. Are you with me? That's what it's about. But it's uncomfortable. Oh, I, I heard the cross was really a great place. I heard it was wonderful. Especially when your skin is wide open on the back because it had been ripped down to the bone. We're made to be a light. All our life is on the table, he said. And we're here to impact this culture. You don't agree with everything. You don't understand everything. You don't have to. You just have to have your story and what Jesus did for you and share it with somebody else too. Sit across the table. Share some coffee, even buy their coffee or their tea. Or if they want water, get them a cup of water. Spend time with people, understand them, and then walk with them. That's how you impact culture. Teach us to number our days, right? Give us favor. Help us with the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. Your work through us. That's what we're here to do. Let's take a second and just close your eyes with me before we conclude with this, this time of worship. And I want to ask yourself, I want you to ask yourself these questions. Do you know the power and the reason for God's anger? His utmost hatred for sin because it separates. Do you know this personally? Have you been in the room with this understanding and that he's not mad at you. He's mad that's within you. He doesn't want that in you. Do you understand that? Do you have God's heart for this world? Listen, it's hard to get to that place. I get it. But are you even on the journey to God's heart for this world? That he died for everyone, not just some select people that are all polished and clean. The people you see on high street, Friday night, Saturday morning, doesn't matter. He died for them too. The people you see in Kroger or the people you see at work, he died for them too. It was for everybody. It was once and for all so that we can all be forgiven. Are you ready to display his beauty in this culture in such an ugly, ugly world? Are you ready to be his light? Are you ready to show up in the room and everybody's like, you, thank the Lord they're here. God, thank you. They don't, even, they don't even know God. God, thank you for bringing so-and-so to this room. Because every time they come in here, regardless of the storms that are just, just brewing up in this office place or up in this classroom, in this dorm, wherever, they change the atmosphere. They make it beautiful. Are you ready to sit across the table from somebody and say, look, I don't understand everything. Let me share my story with you. And what Jesus can do for you. I was blind, but now I see. Well, what was everything? No, 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 no. All I know is this. I was blind, but now I see. Well, have it? No, 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 no. All I had to do was believe. And I was healed. 
All we have to do is believe and we can walk with him. But you don't know what I've done. You're right. Nobody does, but he does. It's all on the table, like Moses said. It's in plain sight and his light permeates through it. He says, this is everything. I've turned back to you. Now it's your chance to turn to me. So this morning I ask you that question. Do you have that personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus? Does the cross matter to you and what Jesus did? Does it make a difference in your everyday life? Or is it just something you wear around your neck? Is this cross on your heart? Or is it just something you hang from your rearview mirror? Where's Jesus in your life? So I ask this question. Are you willing, it might be for the first time or maybe for the 15th because you've had some troubled times in your life. Are you willing to repent too and turn to him? Are you willing to die to self and look to him for life again?